Well, one of the great songs of the church is I've decided to follow him and I'll never turn back. Amen. Well, gang, listen, we're glad you're here. Uh, a little bit different day to day. We know some guests are here because of this special day. This is a day when we have decided to set aside some men that you have nominated and that uh, I have thoroughly investigated. And uh, now that we've talked through and visited with, and today that we've come to set them aside, ordain some as deacons, install some who have already been ordained as deacons. You may be wondering, well, why would you, why would you do that on a Sunday? Usually, it used to be in the, in the olden days, we, uh, we would have afternoon meetings and afternoon questions and answers and then have kind of a, 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 a quick service. Well, our thinking was, and we did it in the first service as well, is that these are not my deacons. Praise God. They're, uh, they're, they're your deacons. And uh, we felt like one of the great things we could do, one of the wonderful things we could do, is have a service where you get to see them and you get to pray for them and that we get to install and ordain them to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, uh, but also Indian Springs Baptist Church. Don's going to come in just a moment and address the church on service. Our deacons, for our guests today, if you're wondering what deacons do, our deacons don't rule. They have been called by God, set aside by God to serve the body of Christ. And I have to tell you, we pick on deacons and we make fun of them. I are one, you know, and I was picked on and made fun of. But there's not a greater group of men in Indian Springs Baptist Church than the deacons who serve the body of Christ here. Through the years, I've just been so honored and I've been so humbled by those that, that we have set aside. Today, we're going to do the same thing. And it's an incredible blessing for a pastor to have men that he loves, men that he believes in, and men that the church believe in as well. I'm going to invite the chairman of our deacons, Chuck Cox, to come. Chuck's going to come and He's going to invite those that uh, will be deacons and their wives to come and sit here. Then after that, Brother Don's going to come, and he's going to bring a charge to the church, okay? After that, I have been assigned the responsibility of bringing a charge to the candidates. Following that, we'll have a laying on of hands, and, uh, and then we'll close out with prayer. Okay, Brother Chuck, you, there he is. We've got a great chairman of deacons. He also is the King Kong for Little Debbie's. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, if you will, when I call your name, you and your spouse, if y'all would come forward, we've got a couple of rows of seats up here for you to sit in. Uh, Scott, uh, Blankenship, and Haley. Uh, Warren, Craig, and Jamie. Uh, Ken, Gaines, and Molly. And Ken, we had the privilege of meeting your mom and dad when they came in. Uh, Randy Grable and Donna. Uh, Leonard LeCue and Dana.
Charles McDonald and Cindy and Luke Smith and Stephanie. My task today is to give the charge to the church and be quick about it, all right? Because you're thinking, Don and Tom are both going to preach. It's going to be way. We don't have to worry about a line at the restaurant. Everybody's going to be gone by the time we get there. But if you have your Bibles, uh, I promise that if you will listen fast, I will talk fast, all right? 1 Thessalonians, toward the end of the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to begin reading in verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. Again, if you get to Hebrews, just thumb back a couple of books and you'll find 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. You may be seated. Have you noticed in that passage of Scripture, already we find uh, three one-anothers. We, we find encourage one another, we find build one another up, and uh, we find do good to one another. In fact, if you were to look throughout all the New Testament, you would find 35 different verbs that are used to and put together with that little phrase, one another or each other, depending on the translation that you have. 35 different times we are commanded to do something to one another or to each other. So many of them are repeated. So there are over 50 times in the Bible where you and I as the body of Christ are commanded to do something depending on these one another's. For instance, we're told to love one another, pray for one another, admonish one another, greet one another, serve one another, teach one another, accept one another, honor one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, submit to one another, be devoted to one another. And here in this passage, encourage, build up, do good to one another. What does that mean? What do the one another's mean for you and me? It means that when you and I become a part of the body of Christ, that as we enter into the body of Christ, it's more than just having your name on a roll. When we come into the church, it means that we accept accountability and we accept responsibility. We're responsible for one another. When, when someone comes and says, I want to join Indian Springs Baptist Church, you and I, by voting to receive them, are saying we're responsible for these people. 
We're responsible for their, we're encouraging them in their spiritual growth. We're responsible for helping them grow to be like Christ. We're responsible for helping to meet their needs. All of these one another show a, a mutual responsibility. You see, Jesus had just told us that, that He died for us so that we could live with Him forever. And part of that time that we live with Him forever is down here on earth with one another. Now remember the old rhyme? To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's another story, right? In heaven we're going to be perfect. It's going to be easy up there. Down here we're far from perfect. And so it's a little bit more difficult. Part of the reason that these men have been set aside to join those who already serve our church to serve as deacons is they're what I like to call fellowship builders. They're to come alongside our pastor and build the fellowship of Indian Springs Baptist Church because we're all part of a family. We're all part of the fellowship. And Brother Tom's going to come in just a little while and challenge you guys and challenge you ladies to this calling that God has given to you. But you say, well, well, what about the rest of us? Those of us that aren't being set aside today to, to serve as, as deacons, what about the rest of us? Well, well, that's exactly who Paul is challenging here. In, in fact, he refers to the church of that day as, as brothers. Now, that would include sisters. But, but there were over 60 times in his letters that Paul used the word brothers or sisters in fact, in these two little letters of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, only eight chapters, he uses the word brothers 27 times to remind us that, that we're all in a family here. Okay? Have you ever noticed you didn't get to pick your brothers and sisters at home? They were yours. You had very little to do with it, right? And it's the same in the body of Christ. God has chosen to place the members in the body as it pleases Him. And so all of us are here because God has placed us here. He didn't ask our opinion on it, did He? But He did give us as a church a responsibility. Now what is our responsibility toward God and responsible to these men and their wives who are being set apart today? Well, first of all, the Scripture says that we should show them honor and respect. The Scripture says, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now, now this doesn't mean that, that there are those who are the chiefs and everybody else are Indians. Notice, respect those who labor. That word labor literally is a word which means toil which exhausts. It means hard work. And, and in our church, I don't know what it's like in other churches, but in our church, the office of a deacon is not some honorary thing where everybody just sort of sits back. But, but these men work and they, and they serve, they, they build up the fellowship. It's hard work. It's not, a, it's not an honorary position. Therefore, it's no place for the lazy or the half-hearted. And so as a church, we're to respect them and give them honor. Notice he says, esteem them very highly with our love. Why? For their work's sake. Not because of who they are, but for the calling which God has placed on their lives. You see... Our pastor, as great as he is, he can't do it all by himself. You know, if a, if a church has 50 or 60 people, one man can pretty well take care of all the needs. But when a, a church grows to, to this size and, and, and even larger, there's, there, there's got to be help. That, that's, that's why we have a, a staff of pastors. That's, that's why we have deacons. That's why we have Sunday school small group leaders. That's why we have care leaders in each small group. Because it takes everybody. Now, 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 sometimes we think, well, the pastor ought to be able to do it all. 
In fact, someone wrote, I'd like to read these to you, some job descriptions for a church staff. Here's the pastor. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. More powerful than a locomotive. Faster than a speeding bullet. Walks on water. Talks with God. Worship pastor. Able to leap short buildings with a running start. Almost as powerful as a small automobile. Faster than a speeding BB. Walks on water if he knows where the stumps are. Is occasionally addressed by God. Student pastor, Mark. Runs into small buildings. Recognizes a locomotive two out of three times. Owns a squirt gun. Swims well. And mumbles to himself. And since our church secretary is sitting right down front, church secretary lifts buildings to walk under them, kicks locomotives off the tracks, catches speeding bullets in her teeth, freezes water with a single glance, and when God speaks, she says, may I ask who's calling? You see, our pastor, as great as he is, he can't do it all by himself. And so as we honor these guys and as we respect these guys, we got to allow them to serve and minister to us. You see, when a, when a deacon or a staff member makes a visit, it's just like Brother Tom being there and making that visit. Don't say, well, my deacon came by, but I didn't see Brother Tom. Because it takes us all in the body of Christ. Show them honor and respect. But, but secondly, we, we need to, to learn to share the ministry with them. Because as we looked at last week, we're all called to ministry. Not all of us are called to be deacons. Not all of us are called to be pastors. But we're all called to ministry. We're all ministers. We're all set apart for service. And so Paul was writing to the church and he said, Hey, you need to do these things together because you're called. Someone said, Hey, all my church wants me to do is to show up, shut up, set up, and pay up. That's not all there is. In, in fact, Paul gives us a, a whole list of things that we could do to share the ministry with these folks who have been set apart. Now, number, number one, he, he tells us there that we're to admonish the idle or the unruly or the lazy. It was, a, it was a word used of a soldier who was marching out of line. In other words, the whole platoon was going in one direction and this soldier was going his own way. You see, in the body of Christ, we're not called to be independent. We're dependent, right? We're all part of one body. And so we have to move together. You see, if, if you feel God leading you in one direction and all the rest of the church feels being led in the other direction, guess who's wrong? Because God leads us together. I went with a friend of mine to see his granddaughter in a little dance recital. She was three or four years old. And as we was watching her in the dance recital, she was doing something totally different than the rest of the girls. But being the proud grandpa that he was, he turned to me and said, Look at Mandy, she's the only one that remembered the routine. <laughs> you see, it's easy to think, Hey, just because this is what I want to do, everybody else ought to join me over here. Doesn't work that way, does it, in the body of Christ? We move together, and so as members, we ought to warn those who, who, who don't want to, to go with us. Say, Hey, why don't you come over here with us? Let's work together. Admonish the idol. Secondly, he said, I want you to encourage the, the faint-hearted. I want you to encourage those that are, are discouraged. Literally, the word means little-souled. Those people that are at the point of quitting, almost ready to drop out. 
Encourage the discouraged. Paramuthos means, means close speech. Get close to them. See, one of the dangers of a church our size is that as we get more people and we got more people sometimes than we have chairs to put them in, we don't always notice those who have dropped by the wayside. Those who no longer attend. That's why every member of Indian Springs Baptist Church ought to be in a small group. Because it's in a small group that we accept accountability and that we accept responsibility. That's why we we have small group leaders. In fact, if you're in a small group every week, you should either get a text, a phone call, an email, or a personal contact of some kind from your care leader or from your small group leader. Whether you're here or whether you're not here, that's the way we keep up with one another. That's the way we encourage one another and keep people from being discouraged. You see, when someone drops out, we ought to, Scripture says, we ought to hunt them up and we ought to help them up. You see, it's easy to say, hey, this person no longer comes. Would you take them off my roll? How is that being responsible? Out of sight, out of mind? We have a responsibility to to, to minister to those folks. He says, also help the weak. Now, Now literally that means hold fast. Hang on. Don't let them fall. This may be a weak person that is struggling with with some addiction. It may be a weak person that's going through a, a trial in their life. Maybe a death or a divorce or something like that. And their tendency is to drop out, to drop by the wayside. The scripture says for you and me as church members, we're to hold on to those people. Don't let them leave. You know, it's hard for people to go very far if you're hanging around their waist. And that's literally the picture that Paul gives us here. Not just to say, well, you know, it's, it's up to them if they want to come to church or not. We have a responsibility to them. So we ought to, we ought to share in the ministry of these men by helping the weak, by encouraging the discouraged, and by warning the unruly. And then finally, we ought to support them in prayer. Over and over and over and over again, we see Paul asking prayer. Remember those one another's? James 5, 16 says pray for one another. We definitely ought to pray for these men and their wives as they're being set apart today. In verse 17, here in this same chapter 5, he says pray without ceasing. Pray continually. And then finally, just before he closes the book, he says, brothers, pray for us. And in just a moment as we pray for these men, don't let that be the last time you pray for them but make a commitment to pray for them consistently in your prayer life. Because together, we're called by God to build the fellowship. Show them honor, respect. Share this ministry with them. Support them in prayer on a regular basis. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for these that you've called out, for the commitment that they've made. But Lord, thank you for the calling that you've placed on the rest of us as well. Thank you for blessing us by putting us in a a family like Indian Springs. And Father, help us to see that we're responsible to you and we're responsible to one another. Help us to live out our calling as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Church, I want to invite you this morning, and guys, especially you, I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to go with me to Leviticus chapter 10. In a few moments, I'm going to uh, be reading a few verses to you, Leviticus chapter 10. My assignment this morning, guys, is to bring to you a charge, a charge, what we call to the candidate. By its very word, a charge is a challenge. A challenge sets forth a proposition, and then it gives to us ramifications or the challenges of following the proposition. Now, the proposition is this, that today you've been set aside by God. You've been set aside by a church acknowledged by the people of God. Man, I want you to know that because of the calling of God on your life, because of the church acknowledging the call of God on your life to be deacons of Indian Springs Baptist Church, your life will never be the same. It's a high calling. Men, it's a, and ladies, it's a holy calling that God has placed on your life. There's an expectation to this. There's an expectation from the people of God as they look at your life and see your life. There's an expectation from a holy, righteous God on your life. And I want you to know there'll be an explanation one day that uh, you'll be called upon to stand before our God, our Lord. And you'll be called upon to give an explanation of how you have lived your life and how you've served the body of Christ. When I was ordained as a deacon and then later ordained as into the gospel ministry, I want you to know I had an overwhelming sense of responsibility, uh, overwhelming, overwhelming sense of inadequacy. I have to tell you, it's never gone away, okay? That God would actually, first of all, I'm amazed that God would save someone like me, like, frankly, you know. Uh, my wife and I were talking last night, and we were discussing someone we know we, that we love very deeply, and we were discussing about the role of alcohol in this person's life. And as we talked, I, uh, she asked me, she said, do you think he's an alcoholic? And I said, honey, I don't know. But I said, if it wasn't for you and God, I would be. In fact, if you go by the, the uh, medical definition, doc, wherever you are, uh, I probably would be classified as one simply because of the nature that I have. And I, I, I told her, I said, Paula, if it weren't for you, and if it weren't for God, I would be one, and I would be dead. And yet somehow God in his providence, somehow God in his, his sovereign way uh, has called me to be a, a believer in Jesus Christ. Somehow in the mind of God in ways I don't understand, he's set me aside at one point in my life Guys, to be a deacon of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. And then lo and behold, somehow in his providence, he decided that I was to be a pastor, that I was going to be a preacher of the gospel. And I have to tell you, my life's never been the same. There's an overwhelming sense of wonder about this God that would do that and a, a sense of humility that God would do that. And I pray today, that you'll always be overwhelmed by this moment in your life and that there'll be a sense of wonder that God would do this. Some uh, months ago, I, I started the year in Genesis and 
and I, uh, I've waddled through Leviticus. If you've ever read through Leviticus, it's kind of laborious, isn't it? But I, uh, I, I got to chapter 10, and I have to tell you, I found myself pretty much overwhelmed by what I was reading. And so, guys, I want you to know that as I speak to you on this subject today, uh, I am speaking to myself, and there's some great fear here, and there's some intrepidation here. Because in chapter 10, in the first three verses, we find some guys that have been called by God to perform a function. We find some guys that have been set aside to perform some spiritual work, and some guys that have been acknowledged by the people that they indeed were called and indeed set aside. And yet, God killed them. And as I read those verses, and as I felt like this was what I was supposed to do today to bring the charge to the candidate, I felt an incredible sense of, I may get myself zapped here. The audacity of someone to stand in the pulpit and call out a holy calling on your life, frankly, scares me a little bit. And yet we find in the Word of God, tis a high and holy calling when God sets aside a man to lead. Guys, I know the disease of my heart. I know the wickedness of my own heart. And yet God has set us aside. Would you stand with me in honor of God's Word? And I want to read three verses and, and, and just make some comments to you, okay? Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on the altar and offered, notice he says, strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, remember Aaron's the daddy of these two boys. Then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron kept silent. By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. Father, I pray for help now. I, God, you know my heart. And you know... Lord, the challenge of leadership. And you know the challenge of being set aside as a deacon and as a pastor, yet diseased in heart, thereby needing redemption. Help us in these next few moments to bring this challenge to these dear people. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks. Be seated. You might want to keep your Bible open for just a few moments. Now, guys, i got to tell you, 
I, I searched to try to find out what this strange fire was, okay? And the fact of the matter is, we don't know. There's been some conjecture. Uh, I haven't been able to find out what it is. I don't know that God wants us to know specifically what it is. Here's some of the guesses that some of the uh, theologians have gave to us, that the coals that they got were not really from the brazen altar. Therefore, God killed them. Uh, maybe it was the wrong time of day. I don't know how they came up with that. Some did. I don't know about that. That doesn't make sense to me anyway. Some said they, they may have went into the most holy place, the place where the high priest would go once a year. That makes a little sense to me. I don't know. The fourth idea was that they were drunk and that they came before God in a, a drunken sense. I don't know. It makes a little sense because following, if you keep reading that chapter, you find that there's a prohibition on priests from, from drinking wine or other fermented drinks. Guys, I don't know. I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. What it says here is that whatever they did, it was contrary to God's will for their life. It was contrary to the command of God. They set aside the command of God. And God immediately acted in judgment. Guys, God killed them. You see, the reason I'm kind of shook up this morning is because why has not God killed me? Hmm? Why hasn't God, when He saw the way I've lived my life, done some of the things that I've done, thought some of the thoughts I've thought, said some of the things I... Why hasn't God killed me. See? And the only thing I can respond to that, dear church, as failed as I am and as diseased in my heart as I am, God's grace has decided not yet. These guys lived not by conviction, but they lived by preference. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. They didn't live by fear, they lived by feeling. They lived by desire, not by discipline. And it cost them their lives. Listen to me. Leaders have always battled with this struggle of the spiritual versus the sensual. The Bible is replete. The Bible's full of stories of those who strayed and those who stayed. Let me give you a couple examples. Samson's a wonderful example of one who strayed. In Judges chapter 13, here's what we hear about Samson. The Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of God stirred him. And just three chapters later, chapter 16, the Bible says he didn't even know that the Lord had departed from him. In between 13 and 16, you know what we find? We find a man who lived by sensual desire and placed it at a higher priority than spiritual discipline. Guys, church, you can't live by sensual desires. You must live by spiritual discipline. Thus saith the Lord. What is right in the eyes of God should be the foundation by which we live. Let me give you a better example, a good example. Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, the earthly father of our Lord, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1 that he arose and he did 
as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to our Lord. He kept her pure. You see, his spiritual discipline ruled over his sensual pleasure. Every God called, set aside man of God, is faced with this challenge. While we might think no one's up for the call, there are some men that are up for the call. You've been set aside. I believe that you're up for the call. You're up for the challenge. Man, I believe you're up for the consecration of being set aside for the glory and the honor of God alone. You see, with deep reverence, we ought to realize that the ramifications are great to this call of God upon your life. In our text, there's a couple things that jumped out at me. Let me just kind of mention, then I'll be through, okay? When you read these three verses, you find they had a form of righteousness, You see, on the outside, the people knew or at least thought or could see that they were priests. And they even acted as priests. From all outward appearances, they were priests, you see. But not only did they have a form of righteousness, they performed the functions of righteousness. Listen, guys, they pretended to be on the outside what they were not on the inside. And nobody could tell, except God, for a while. And ultimately, all could tell. For you see, truth always, at some point, truth always shows itself. I want to give you a statement. You're not going to remember a lot about today, probably. You'll probably remember your knees hurting when everybody comes by to lay hands on you. So you may not remember an awful lot. But I want to give you a statement that I hold dear to my heart, and I pray maybe you'll hold it dear to your heart, and church, you as well. Those who have the privilege of being nearest to God bear the responsibility of being holiest for God. Can I say that to you again? Those who have the privilege of being nearest to God bear the responsibility of being holiest for God. Man, I don't, know, I don't know about your quiet times. I don't know about your mornings or evenings with God. I guess that's between you and, and Him. Uh, I've found in my life that I have to meet with Him in the morning because I tend to fall asleep about 8 o'clock. Uh, so I better do it in the morning. In fact, one of our teenagers, young men, came by last night to help me on my computer. And, and uh, he said, well, it's 7 o'clock. Are you in bed? And I, uh, I said, well, you know, dangerously close to that, you know. But let me tell you, I, so I don't know what works for you. You've got to shake that out for yourself. I'll I tell you what, what, one of the things I try to do in the evenings before I crash when the sun sets, okay? Um, when we built our house, uh, in, our, in, our, in our closet, Paula put a full-length mirror in there. Now, frankly, why in the world anybody put a full-length mirror to look at themselves, but she decided to do that. And let me tell you what I find myself doing from time to time. I, I, I find myself uh, going into the, into the closet and shutting the door because I don't anybody see me. And I look myself in the eye and I ask myself, Tom, today, you who have been called to be close to God, 
Have you been holy today for God? Now, that's a call on my life, not just as a pastor. That's a call on my life, not just because I've been ordained as a deacon. Gang, that's a call on my life because I've been blood-bought. I've been saved by the King. I've been set aside from the, with the calling of God on my life. I am a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, stained with the blood of Jesus. So that evaluation on me should be the same evaluation on your life. Those who are closest to God ought to be the holiest for God. These guys had a form. These guys performed a function. But men, they were fake. They were fake. And God killed them. I want to challenge you. And I want to challenge myself. And I want to challenge our staff. And I want to challenge our church. Let's don't bring strange fire before the Lord. I know we're always challenged by our imperfections. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. Okay? But God doesn't want us to be fake. God wants us to be genuine. God wants us to be real before Him. It should be for His honor and His glory, not for our own preferences. William Tyndall was a great man of faith. If you've studied much about church history, you've read about him, heard about him. He incredible man of faith. He, he gave his life for the cause of Christ and in Christ's word. He had a really good friend. His best friend was a guy by the name of John Frith. We don't know much about John, really. Uh, what we do know is that right before he was burned at the stake for his loyalty to God's Word, he got a letter from William Tyndall. It was a, kind of a long letter. I'm not going to read it at all. There's a phrase, though, that ought to grip our heart. William Tyndall wrote to John Frith right before he was burned, and he said this, Your cause is Christ's gospel. A light fire, if you will. A fire that must be fed with the blood of faith. He told this guy right before he was about to be burned, your cause is Christ. And the fuel of that fire must be fed by the blood of faith. Man, I want to tell you, before God, my cause is Christ. And I want to challenge you before God that your call is Christ. Later, William Tyndall himself would be strangled and then burned, fed to the fire for Christ's honor. And yet when we read the King James Version of the Bible, we find that 83% of the New Testament, 76% of the Old Testament was written by this man. He deemed the Word of God and the glory of God more important than his life. What he wrote to his friend, he lived and died. The cause is Christ. The coals he offered was from pure fire. Nothing strange at all about it. Years ago, I, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott... Uh, 
was a wonderful missionary who gave his life for the cause of Christ. He, his wife wrote a book. Uh, he is well known. Uh, although he died at a young age, he's pretty well known. Some years ago, I was handed uh, his memoirs. Um, and I, and I got to tell you, man, I, I read them. Uh, I couldn't finish it because about three-quarters of the way through, I felt so dirty and ungodly. It's that kind of book. It's that kind of man. I gave it to my wife, and she said, Tom, I don't even think this guy was human. Uh, it's just incredible. One of the, uh, one of the places where he, he put um, uh, a notation because of a, a certain day is what he called diary. He, he wrote it. And he said this. He said, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. I do not desire a long life, but a full life like you, Lord Jesus. Light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Lord Jesus. Let's pray. In a moment, we're going to ask our men to come and stand. We're not going to have a time of invitation as normal or a time of response that we usually have. But I want you, with your head bowed, perhaps with your eyes closed, to think about those wonderful words of William Tyndall. The cause is Christ. Can you in your heart say amen to that? Can you agree with Jim Elliot? Light these idle sticks of my life. God, I want to burn for thee. And if you could affirm that in your heart, say, you know, I, I connect to that. Then I say to you, God bless you. That's what you're supposed to do. That's how you're supposed to live. But if there's some hesitancy there, and I, I, none of us are perfect, gang. We all struggle through this stuff. I understand. But if there's some hesitancy there, then in repentance to God, say, Oh, God, I want to be someone who offers not strange fire. I want to be someone who offers pure fire to you. Make me to be that kind of person. Father, I love you. God, there's a lot of things I haven't figured out in this world. Number one, why I'm still alive. Number two, why I'm saved. Number three, why I was ordained as a deacon and God now ordained as a gospel preacher. I don't understand. The pastor of a church, God, you know my heart. You know me. And God, you killed these two boys, but you didn't kill me. And that overwhelms me. And I bow and say thank you. God, today we're going to lay hands on a group of men. God, my prayer for them. Number one is that, Lord, you put a hedge around them and their families. That you'll remove anything evil. Any attack to destroy to protect these men and their wives and their children and their grandchildren. God, I pray provision for them. 
that they'll have just enough to do everything you want them to do. God, I pray that they'll realize that this isn't about them at all. It's about you. It's about your glory in the church so that the name of the Lord Jesus will be magnified and he'll be glorified. Bless them, God. I thank you for their gift to Indian Springs. I thank you for their gift to their pastor. I pray for their wives in a very special... There will be much joy in their heart knowing that their husband has been set aside for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, I'm going to ask if you would to come and face the church and kneel if you would, please. Okay, if you guys will just come up. If, if your knees are not what they used to be, you can get a chair. Uh, later we can get a crane to lift you if we need to. If you guys would just go ahead and kneel. If you um, have been ordained as a deacon or into the gospel ministry, either here or somewhere uh, in the past, whatever, we'd like to invite you to come and quickly lay hands and pray for these men. Would you do that just now, please? Very quickly move through. And uh, may want to start on one end over here, guys, if you would, and move this way. be a little easier. Oh, Lord.